This man is sold out from head to toe. And I have had the privilege of preaching at his church a number of times. I'll just tell you what. It's a radical bunch of people that are in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. Our theme this year, as has been stated several times, is spiritual warfare. And Pastor Barry Sutton's church is pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And when we were praying and getting direction of who we felt to come this year and pour into this conference, he was one of the first names that we felt to bring. Pastor Sutton, we are so honored that you are here. Would you put your hands together and welcome from Birmingham, Alabama, Barry Sutton. And everyone said, praise the Lord. What a beautiful day, huh? There was an ice storm in Birmingham yesterday. I almost sent a picture of a beautiful orange tree against the backdrop of a beautiful blue sky to my wife. In the instant I raised the phone to take the picture, I got a text from her that said, we need your four-wheel drive right now from the airport. There's going to be an ice storm. I didn't send a picture. Some things are just cruel. God bless you poor pitiful people that live on the left coast. Praise God. What a great day to be alive in the kingdom of God. What good preaching. What word we've feasted on here. In these services. I, I want to thank uh, this morning the ushers and the greeters and the bus drivers and the cadets and the basket makers the choir the praise group the musicians oh for a piano player that runs the aisles praise God I want to give honor to brother and sister young the pastors of the rock church for modeling generational transfer for taking their place on the top of the S of the sigmoid curve and modeling this is not easy generational transfer is not an easy thing or everybody would be doing it everywhere and can you imagine being on the top of that curve and having this place come down resting on your shoulders what a wonderful couple what a wonderful ministry My sense in this house, in these services, is that the Rock Church is trending not up, but dimensionally. Can't explain all that to you, but something phenomenal is moving in this house. And that S on the top of that curve has already bent and begun, begun to ascend again. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love Brother and Sister Young and what God's doing in them. I appreciate Brother and Sister Wilson, uh, the bishop and first lady here, for once again letting us eat at their table because we are sitting here at the table of seers and visionaries. We get to eat at a prophet's table. And I heard someone preach long ago that once you've eaten of the prophet's meat, you're never the same again. 
I thank them today for years of unwavering visionary leadership. Love you and I praise God for you and I thank God for you. I praise God for my pastor, uh, Brother Curtis and Sister Joe Alice Young. We were long-haired, leaping gnomes when we came in to the back of that church on Victoria Drive. And they were so straight and so square and so conservative, and it was a cultural collision. I appreciate them. Every Thursday night, my children and my grandbabies gather around my table for family night. Most every Sunday night, they gather there, and we debrief on services and how the sound never works. Just kidding, just kidding. You are my friend. I owe all that to you guys. I, everything we have and everything we are in the kingdom of God, I owe to my pastor. Because I don't think the story would have turned out very well without God and without a hand of a shepherd, a firm hand of a shepherd. This Sunday morning and Sunday night, Brother Zach Wells will preach to a crowd of apostolics in Birmingham, Alabama. We all launched from the spiritual energy of this couple, from their integrity, from their love for the kingdom of God. I love Brother and Sister Young, and I owe them a debt. I am completely helpless and without power to repay. Love you and appreciate you. Did you hear all that? Tell him what I said. We're going to read this morning Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 and 12 Aren't you glad for the word of God? This is John the Baptist He's introducing Jesus Christ And he says I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance But he that cometh after me is mightier than I Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. God bless you. You can be seated. And as you are, let's give God thanks and praise for his word that is forever settled in the heavens. We praise you, mighty God. We worship you. Come on. Let's give him high praise for his word. Never changes. Always brings to pass the will and the purpose of God. We thank you, mighty God. We praise you, mighty God. We love your word, oh God. Speak to us. Deal with us by your word, mighty God. And so John is introducing Jesus, and he says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we understand the implications of that statement. But then he moves into a metaphor, which is powerful for those that, who are hearing John and powerful for us today. And he describes Jesus, his fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into his garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. And this is the metaphor of the ancient threshing floor, still in use today in many places in the Middle East. And the basic process is simply this. 
The grain is torn from its habitat in the field, uprooted, taken forth, cut down, out of its world, and brought into a place of processing. And in that place of processing, then the grain is beaten on the hard bricks or the tile or the pounded out surface of the clay there until the grain breaks away from the stalk and the grain is separated from the stalk. And then there is more of a process and with here his fan is in his hand. Some translations say a winnowing fork, or if you would, a pitchfork. Shovels, implements of threshing. That is, uh, there is a violence here on this threshing floor. And there is a pounding of the grain to break the husk off of the grain. And then as it works, sometimes they'll take it and throw it in the air. And the wind will carry away the light. Uh, shaft and the grain will fall and over and over again pounding and pressing and crushing until there's a, a distinct separation and sometimes they'll set a little fire in it and the fire will leach its way through burning the light material and not harming the grain until at the end of the day and at the end of the process there is a pile of shaft which will be burned with unquenchable fire and a pile of grain that will be taken into his barn, his garner. Now you don't have to be a theologian or very astute about spiritual things to understand the metaphor and its application to us. Jesus didn't come to the earth to get barley or wheat or oats or grain of some sort, but he came to the earth to get you. He came to get souls. He came to find men. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to tear us out of our world with violence to cut us down and pull us by the roots out of our world and bring us into his processing area. Bring us into his threshing floor. His fan is in his hand. Now this is the place where I don't know who's assigned to me to be my cadet today, but uh, if I could have two big strong men to take my cadet and make an object lesson and throw him into the air and let him come crashing down and throw him into the air and you say, well, God never did that to me. Well, God does that very thing to us. He has a fan, a fork in his hand. And now the process is going to suffer violence. And now there's going to be, and the intent is always separation from the field, separation from the stalk, separation from the root ball that made you what you were, separation from the husk until you break out of that husk and then there's a pile of something that's going to be burned the youngest the dimmest among us understand the burning at the end of the process is speaking of hell and the gathering into his garner is speaking of heaven and so today there is a process, and John calls it a threshing floor. And the threshing floor is the process by which we are processed out of our world and into God's world and made uh, conformable to his 
to his word and to his desire, someone he wants to take home, something that is fit for his purpose and for his use. Praise God. Now, I don't think any of you have ever awakened in the middle of the night and God's standing there and he just lets you have it with a broad blade shovel. Bam, 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 bam. Because if he did, I think a lot more people would live for God with a great deal of fervor and ardor. You know, man, I'd go off and do these things, but he's going to show up tonight with that shovel and it is just... But God doesn't do that. He doesn't use a pitchfork. He doesn't use a shovel. He doesn't set fire to you and burn off your crust, your worldly crust. And so we have to then explore this and to apply it in its spiritual nature and say, what are the threshing implements. We understand the idea of process. Everything in our encounter with God has to do with process. But what are the threshing implements? And what creates the dynamic force that separates us from our world and from our nature? And what are the dynamic forces that separate us and the violence that breaks us apart from those things that are not like God? We encounter this in the beginning in the garden, Adam, Eve, a snake, a tree. It was the first day on the threshing floor. And the implement that was used to separate was the dangling fruit of an alternative to the Word of God. And God's tool in that garden was the offering of an alternative and the de deceptive voice of a serpent. And that was the process that day. And that was the test that day. And when you begin to get into the garden, you have to begin to ask a series of logical questions. If you have a brain, you understand that this is a setup. And you understand that if God is omniscient, and we know that he is, did he know how the outcome would be? And he obviously did. I say he obviously did because he was a lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. So before Adam and Eve ever stepped into the garden, God on his blueprints in the cosmos already had the figure of a man hanging on a cross. God had the answer before the question was ever asked. God had the remedy before the first sin and before the first sinner. God is omniscient. God knows everything, the end from the beginning. There is no question that this is the beginning, the inauguration of a process that you and I are involved in. Well, where did the devil come from? Where does evil come from? Why are these things present? Isaiah 45, 6 through 7. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light, create the darkness. I make peace and everyone say create evil. I the Lord do all these things. Now I'm going to tell you this, that the capacity for, the potential for, the framework, the existence of evil is part of God's created plan. The devil is a created being, and everything in God's creation has purpose. 
In Ezekiel 28, 13, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast, everyone say, created. Thou art the God doesn't make mistakes. God does everything perfectly. God does everything well. God never second guesses. He never has to start again. He knows the end from the beginning. The enemy is a created being. God has purpose for him. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. But this is how it comes to its conclusion. Revelation 20, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key in the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. You see, Satan is a quartet. He's not a trinity, he's a quartet. Look at all these titles. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Everybody say, he shut him up. Isn't that good news? And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose a little season. God sends one angel, not an army. God sends one angel. There's not a great cosmic battle. This is completely and clearly in God's control and at God's discretion. The angel binds him up. The angel sets the timer. A thousand years. And then he's going to come back out again and work for God a little more. But make no mistake about it. He works for God. He serves God. He is what God made him to be. He is consummate evil. He is the consummate reprobate. He believes that he can overthrow God. And he believes that he can overthrow you. But God did this. And and God is good. God did this. And God is love. God did this. And God is on my side. So I'm looking at this and I'm telling you, this is not a bad thing. This is a part of the process. The threshing floor is a rough place. The threshing floor has violence in it. But I'd rather be in the threshing floor of God than in the world that is going to hell. Somebody say praise the Lord. <laughs> Once we concede omniscience, we understand that God controls and created all things. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. That is redundantly conclusive. He did it all. If it exists, he made it. Then our discussion turns to an inspection of God's purposes. And I find that it is, it has fallen our part and a primary component of the process of God is the exercise of will and choice. We hear Joshua say, choose you this day whom you will serve. If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the lord a function of will 
It's not circumstance, a function of choice. It's not where you were born or your ethnicity or your education or your economics. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with any of those things that surrounds you. It simply has to do with the fact, will you stand in the middle of God's threshing floor and will you say yes to the process of God? It's all about choice. It's all about the exercise of free moral agency. It's all about the will of God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, that not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody in the barn. God wants everybody in the grain pile. God wants everybody in the house of God. But more, God has entrusted us with something that is powerful. If you would, it is the most powerful force in the universe. What God has given you is stronger than the love of God. What God has given you is stronger than the grace of God. What God has given you is stronger than God's mercy because you can turn away from God and you can turn away from grace and you can turn away from mercy. God has given you a will that is the strongest thing moving. It is stronger than hell. It's stronger than the devil. It is stronger than God in this setting. Do you understand what I'm telling you? God has given you the power to say yes or no to God. This is the most powerful and terrifying part of God's character and his plan. He will let you walk right on by. He'll let you choose to live your life without him. And he'll let you choose an alternative to the word of God. As they were coming in their journey toward the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning in verse 26. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. And it shall come to pass that when the Lord thy God hath brought thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. And if you'll do a summary of Deuteronomy chapter 27, you'll find that they make big whitewashed stones and they write all the blessings on Mount Gerizim and they write all the curses on Mount Ebal and they have half the tribes uh, represented by Levites on the Mount Gerizim and on the Mount of Ebal and they are shouting out on Gerizim the blessings of God. They're shouting at the people the blessings of God and on Ebal they are shouting out the curses of God and the word of God is written there and they are a walking living metaphor for us and for all who would follow after that your life is the sum total of the daily decisions that you make every time you lift your foot and set it up set it down again you are walking up the mountain of God's blessing or you are walking up the mountain of God's curses but it's not an accident it's not fate it's not circumstance it's not somebody else fooling with your life it is you it is your choice and God said God said God said you can walk right up the mountain of the blessing of God if you will 
And God said, you can walk up the mountain of the curse of God, if you will, in full view of the Word of God, with the resonance of the Word of God yet in your ear, you have made a choice. There's no clearer biblical demonstration of the exercise of will and choice in the kingdom of God. Paul said, for there must be heresies among you. It has to happen. There has to be a heresy. Oh my God, these heretical people are, 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 are producing heresies again and all their heretical ways. You know, it's like, it's like Enoch when he's preaching about ungodly sinners who do ungodly things and all their ungodly ways. And his favorite word is ungodly. There are heresies among you. But the word of God said that has to be. There has to be a heresy among you. That they which are approved. Everyone say that they which are approved may be manifest among you. It's part of the plan. It's just another day on the threshing floor of God. It's just another, oh no, there's a heresy. I'll let them come. I've already made up my mind. I've already set my face like a flint. I've already established this in my heart. There has to be a heresy. I want you to know that the heretic doesn't work for hell. The heretic works for God. He offers you the dangling fruit of an alternative to the kingdom of God. He is calling to see if you want to walk up the mountain of God's blessing or walk up the mountain of God's curse. It takes will and intent and purpose to walk into either the blessing or the curse. The threshing implements of God are, we encounter them every day. They flow in and out of our lives. We walk in these dynamics. Deuteronomy 13, beginning 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spoke unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, lest pursue an alternative, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you. Everybody say, The Lord your God proveth you, tests you checks you out God wants to know what does he want to know to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart I'm reading from the Word of God and with all of your soul why does God give us that presentation why does God offer us that diversion why does God let that walk into my life I thought God loved me God does love you but you can't live for God unless he separates you from your field until he separates you from your nature until he gets you all together sold out lock stock and barrel into his pile God wants to know God wants to know God wants to know and so God gives you a choice a place to exercise your will you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep the commandments and serve him and cleave only unto him you pass by all kinds of places to get here today and yet you came to the house of God on a perfectly good, beautiful Friday morning. You chose to come to the house of God. Hopefully you've never been to Bourbon Street. But in, in years before I met Brother and Sister Young, every now and then we were in Baton Rouge, we'd blow down to New Orleans. 
But it's just amazing to me. There are barkers all along that street. Barkers who stand in the door and look for the novice and look for the sailor and look for the teenager and look for the kid without any understanding. Come on in, see what we've got. Hey, let me tell you what, I can't tell you all that they say and, and how illustrative and how, and how descriptive they are, but they're calling, they're compelling, they're drawing. And as you made your way through this little corner of your life this morning, there were barkers all along. There's ad men and ad agencies spending millions of dollars trying to snatch your attention. There are voices on your handheld device and on your computer that are calling you to step off into some swamp of ungodliness, some, some hell hole of deceit, pornography, uh, terrible things that are not like the kingdom of God. But here you are in the house of God today. You made your way into the house of God today. It didn't just happen. It it wasn't circumstance. You made a choice to be in the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be in the house today? My God, I'm just glad they let me in. My God, I'm just glad they didn't turn me away at the door. It's not a question of what I get to do or what it does for me or how the house of God serves me. I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'm glad to be a laborer in the house of God. I'm glad to sit on the back row. I'm glad to be wherever God wants me to be in the house of God. I'm just glad to be here. When they move into Canaan, God doesn't drive out all the enemies because they need resistance. They need a platform for choice and the exercise of will. The dynamics of the threshing floor will be in place until he comes or until you depart. You're going to walk in the threshing floor and its dynamics every day. There will always be a choice. You will never graduate. You'll never get to the place where it doesn't knock on your heart's door, where it doesn't whisper. You'll never get to the place where the noise is all dialed back and it's just the sweet serenity of a Holy Ghost experience in the kingdom of God. Mighty God, this is a violent place. This is a violent place. Something's trying to drag you back into that field God pulls you out of. Every day he gets up, he performs just like God made him to perform. He's faithful. He's a faithful devil. They are faithful demons. They are consummate reprobates. They are exactly like God made them. If you live for God, you're going to swim upstream. 1 Samuel 16, 14. But the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And everyone said, evil spirit from the Lord. I thought God was on my side. I thought God was looking out. I am a friend of God. And your friend will send you an evil spirit. Is God playing cosmic games with me? It's just another day 
on the threshing floor. Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. This was common knowledge. The servants knew all about this. This was not the realm of, of theologians. The servants knew evil spirits came from God. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are come to pass. When the evil spirit from God is upon thee, he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. In the last verse of the passage, 23. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp, played with his hands, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. They knew what it was, they knew where it came from, and they knew what to do about it. If we place a lot of em emphasis on excellence and praise and worship and music, it is for a reason. It is because your praise and your worship not only ushers you into the presence of God, and not only ushers God into the habitation of his people but it also clears the deck of evil spirits they don't like that noise they don't like that noise you're making right now they don't like that worship that you're that you're participating in right now they have to clear out they're out in the parking lot they're down the street somewhere your praise can drive out evil spirits And if we, were, if we were teaching on praise and worship today, we'd mention that, but I'm not, so I probably won't. Saul's trajectory is in steep decline. They meet here in this momentary encounter. David's trajectory is on the rise. Both determined, both totally determined by the choices that those two men were making. One up the mountain of blessing, one into the valley of curses, all by choice. And it's just another day on the threshing floor of God. This is not easy. I, Brother and Sister Young will remember, the people that witnessed to us, taught us our Bible studies, brought us into their homes shepherded us we thought they were scholars they had only had the holy ghost about six months but they were they were so energetic and so passionate about the things of god and we ate drank and slept word for weeks and weeks until we came and and we were baptized and and i just connected with those people and i had such an adoration and such a love for them but i need to tell you not one of them is living for god now and they they dropped off the radar they found an alternative they took a side road they found an exit somewhere early on in my experience in god i want you to know on the threshing floor of god you need to understand you can love people you you can adore people you can respect people but there is a chance that your hero is going to fall and I, got, I just got to tell you I've seen a lot of people fall with their hero I've seen a lot of people throw in the towel with their hero but when your hero falls you've got to plant your feet and you've just got to say this is just another day on the threshing floor of God when Saul falls 
Samuel sits in a dark room. Samuel is sitting in his house and he's weeping and he's mourning over Saul because there's so many powerful themes that are wrapped up in Saul and Samuel is growing old and now Samuel doesn't understand and he's weeping and the Holy Ghost shows up in that room where he's mourning for his lost hero and the Holy Ghost shows up in the life of a man who's walked in the power of God but because of someone else's failure now he's let his heart become heavy and his spirit move into decline and God said how long will you mourn for Saul he said how long you're gonna mope how long you're gonna suck your thumb how long are you gonna refuse the joy and the victory of God he said get your horn of oil and get down to Jesse's house because I've got somebody else down there. I've got a boy down there. We're going to pour some oil on his head. God's going to make a champion out of him. Heroes come. Heroes go. Heroes rise and heroes fall. But it's just another day on the threshing floor of God. Does anybody in this house have a made up mind? Does anybody in this house have a purpose in your heart that says you may come, you may go, but I'll touch your neighbor and say you may backslide, but Charlie, I'm going to be found in the house of God. You may not be a worshiper, but I'm going to be a worshiper of the most high God. You may not obey the pastor, but I'm going to say yes to the word of God. It's will. It's choice. It's striking with a winnowing fork. It's pummeling with a shovel. It's grinding me on the floor. But it's breaking off bit by bit. Everything about me that was allied and had an allegiance to that world and not to the kingdom of God. Because that's your humanity that's, that's aligning with Saul. That's your humanity that's resonating with Saul. God wants to break that off and he wants your fidelity to be crystal clear and absolute. This is about God and nothing but God. This is all about God and nobody, nobody has the power to move between God and my life and eclipse the glory of God you do not give anyone that power you exercise your will I know you love your wife but you gotta love God more I know you love your husband but you gotta love God more I know you love your dream but you gotta love God more because in the middle of that threshing floor he may break some things off of you and some people may walk away praise God I love those exilic prophets I love Daniel Jerusalem is in rubble the priesthood is gone the city is dark everything's destroyed the people are murdered or hauled off into captivity and Daniel stands in the house of the strongest man on earth and says I won't eat that meat. Well, buddy, the temple's gone. That stuff's, that stuff's not any longer uh, relevant to you. Uh, no, that was an external. 
a system of externals that God purposed to cause the things of God to become internalized in my life. And once effectively internalized, those things can be eradicated. And I can walk out in the middle of a brand new day in uncharted territory. And it may look like absolute disaster, but the things of God are rooted down inside of me. I got the temple down inside of me. I got the word down inside of me. And I've got the will to say yes to God. Don't you let someone else's failure eclipse the glory of God in your life. Praise God. Praise God. Can you just lift up your hands? Somebody needs to pray right now. Somebody just needs to say yes to God right now. Somebody's in pain here today because the violence of the threshing floor is breaking something off of you. But you hear this bald-headed preacher today. God has your good in mind. God loves you. God's taking care of you. Don't you turn aside. Let God work his work in your life. Second Chronicles 18, 17. The story of Jehoshaphat and Ahab. The divided kingdom, Ahab needs to go to battle. He's not strong enough. So he tries to enlist Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's a good guy, but he's naive. And he knows he shouldn't go, but the party's great and the gifts are wonderful and they're saying good things about him. And Ahab and Jezebel, they're wicked. And Ahab's about to die because God's going to call his number for killing Naboth. And it's all going to happen around these events at this party in the battle at Ramoth Gilead. And the prophet Micaiah comes and sees something in the heavenlies. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would not prophesy good to me but evil? They had Micaiah in jail because he always said the wrong thing. He was the only prophet of God. And they want to lock you down and they want to lock you up. But don't you dare let them shut your mouth. You just take it. You t- Listen to me, preacher. You stand in the middle of your threshing floor. And you take everything that comes at you. But don't you deviate from the word of God. And don't you deviate from the doctrine. And don't you deviate from the power and the promise of God. Again, he said... Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Now, this is what he saw in the heavenlies. He had already told them he saw Israel scattered like sheep with no shepherd and without a master. He said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne and the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall? He's going to die at Ramoth Gilead. And one spake after this manner, and another saying after that, and they're brainstorming. Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will, I'll entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? 
And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now therefore, Micaiah says to Ahab, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil against you. Where do evil spirits come from? They come from the only beginning and creative force that there has ever been. Where does false prophets come from? Who did they work for? They work for my God. They are the purveyors of alternatives to the Word of God. They are the barkers along Bourbon Street, the ecclesiastical version of Bourbon Street. Come see what we've got for you, baby. But don't you listen, because those lying spirits and false prophets work for God. They are pitchforks. They are shovels. They are threshing instruments. They are winnowing forks. They are fires. They are the business of separation. They are the instruments on the floor, the violent place of the threshing floor of God. From the days of John... The kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Praise God. Who started the conversation in Job chapter 1? Have you considered my... He said, where you been, Satan? Do you realize Satan has to attend business meetings before God? Chapter 1, chapter 2. The sons of God were gathered there, and Satan was also among them. It's not like Satan's an insurgent force in heaven. Satan has, he got the memo, he's got to come. So he's standing there before God, and God said, Hey, where you been? I've been going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down in it, like I do every day, like you don't know. And Peter said... Peter finishes that and says, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And God said, have you thought about Job? He said, you know I think about Job every day. But you have a hedge about him. On every side, because I've been there. I have walked every inch of his perimeter. I have looked for a place to break through. I have looked for a vulnerability. He said, but you've got a hedge about him and I can't get to him. He said, but if you would let me touch him, I can make him curse you to your face. You've got to understand, he's reprobate, he's consummate evil, he doesn't respect God, he thinks he can ascend above the sides of the north, above the throne of God. He knows he can overcome you. He gets beat every day, and he comes back every day. Because that's how God made him. He's a good devil. <laughs> Effective devil. So God says, okay, you can touch everything that pertains to him, but you can't touch his body. Who started it? God did. Who set the parameters? God did. So Satan went forth 
from the presence of the Lord. And in a day, Job lost everything. And in a day, his life was total shambles. But watch Job's response. He doesn't rebuke the devil. I rebuke you, devil! Stuff's happening and I know it's the devil! And I rebuke the devil! You know how you tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy? You do that by obeying God. You don't do that by screaming at the devil. If you want to use your verbalization for something powerful, praise and magnify God. You want to give the devil a bad day, you ignore him and you, you love on God. And there's a pile of rubble and it's a man's life and everything that he had and everything he's worked for but we see a little movement and out of the rubble comes a little hand and the hand extends up and there's a voice associated with it that said naked came i into the world naked will i leave the world the lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's just another day on the threshing floor of God. I may stand naked, losing everything I have, but God is still God, and the word is still true, and the promise is still real. He doesn't countenance the devil. He knows the buck stops on God's desk. He goes straight to God. Chapter 2, another business meeting. The sons of God and Satan is there. Where you been, Satan? I've been going up and down to and fro have you considered my servant Job and I get a little insight into God's personality I think he's twisting the knife hey don't even look at him just doing divine paperwork or something So, have you seen Job? He said, yeah, you know, you know I did. And you know what? Skin for skin, we just didn't hit him hard enough. Skin for skin, a man will do anything to preserve his own life. If you let me touch his body, I can make him curse you. The same song and dance. Who starts the conversation? Who sets the parameters? You can touch him, but you can't kill him let me tell you whatever you're going through today if you belong to god now if you're saul and you're in rebellion you've stepped back out into the field that god plucked you out of and it's open season the devil can do anything he wants to do with you but if you're on the threshing floor of god your heart is with integrity serving god and you're obeying god and you've got a heart that says i love god in all of his ways 
whatever's happening to you God knows all about it and all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose do you believe that somebody with trouble right now needs to worship God somebody with a problem right now needs to give God praise somebody with a heartache right now needs to give God glory Praise God. Praise God. Somebody say praise the Lord. I love the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. We preach about it and we get excited about it. Because it's that story of the great jailbreak. Peter's in prison surrounded by four quaternions of, 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 uh, of soldiers and God sends the angel and the angel kicks him and wakes him and brings him out and it's just a great story. And the church is praying for his release. And we love the jailbreak story. But that chapter begins with Herod took James and Herod cut James' head off. It only takes a little space to tell James' whole story. The church was praying for James. Just like they prayed for Peter. And when Peter goes to and when Peter goes to prison, those same broken-hearted saints, they went back to the same place they were praying for, for James. And they started praying all over again. And there was warfare in their head and warfare in their heart and pressure. I'm telling you, it was an excruciating day on the threshing floor. Because you've never, you've never struggled till you prayed in abject fear and terror. And they're praying, but they just pray the same prayers. And they hauled James headless away and buried him. They were praying the same prayers in the same place. And God, loving God, allowed that apostle to die at the hand of sinners. And they now, Peter's in jail, and now they go back to those same prayer rooms, and they go back to the same house, and they're praying again. And when the knock comes on the door, they are so full of unbelief, but they're praying. They're doing the right thing. They're praying that when Peter shows up at the door, they don't even believe that it's Peter. It takes a while for them to come to the door. And even when they see him, it's hard for them to believe because they've walked through such an excruciating moment with this business with James. I love the story of Peter. And I love the escape. And I love the deliverance. And I love the, uh, the funny business with Rhoda at the door and all of that. But I'm telling you, sometimes prayer in the threshing floor of God can be an excruciating experience. But if you're in a place right now where you prayed and things have gone up in flames you prayed but it hasn't worked out yet I want you to know you just keep on praying you don't worry about the details you let God take care of the details what about James James belongs to God James is an apostle James is in the hand of God nobody cuts his head off unless God says yes You go back to your prayer room. You take your broken heart. 
you take your crushed spirit and you bow your knee again and you pray the prayer again and you say I don't understand it God's ways are above my ways like the heavens are above the earth I don't know what God is doing with this but I know that he's yet God and I hear Job saying though he slay me yet will I trust him and so when it all comes apart I go back to the house of God I open the book again I sing the songs again I worship and I pray again somebody say praise the Lord now there are dynamic forces created by the Word of God that are a part of the rigor of the threshing floor 2nd Corinthians 6 beginning in verse 14 be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's just another day on the threshing floor. Stepping away from family. Tearing away from friends. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Setting aside the playthings that used to attract me but now I'm serious about living for God setting aside something it may not be essential but the question is not what's the lowest common denominator the question is how close to God can I get today what communion had light with darkness turning off that I'm unhooking this I'm putting that away you know we lived a long time without phones in our hands and computers in our hands we lived a long time without that and I tell you if your soul is in the balance you need to take those things out back and dig a hole and bury them and break away from the darkness you ought to be able to exercise will and choice and use those things. But if you can't, friend, you need to find yourself a shotgun and shoot those things. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You're the temple of the living God. Everybody say, I'm the temple of the living God. God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Come out from among them. Let God pull you out of your world and bring you into his process. Well, I don't know if I believe in all that preaching that Brother Young and Brother Wilson are doing. I tell you what, it's just another day on the threshing floor. And that preacher's going to bring a shovel and he's going to work you over. And he's going to break off everything that's not like God. Come out from among them. Be ye separate. Jesus is in Luke 14. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and his own life, he can't be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple cross is an interesting thing it's the intersection of the vertical and the horizontal it's the intersection of the things that are spiritual and the things that are natural and his God's recipe for your deliverance is that you take up your cross and as he did hang between heaven and earth at the intersection at the axis of things spiritual and things natural the process visiting upon you
the, the strenuous, dynamic forces of separation of those two things. You take up your cross as he took up his cross. And it tears you. And it breaks you. But you can't be God's without it. And you can't serve God without it. And every day I've got to get on it again. And the very posture of it is vulnerable. And I've got to be torn by it again. Praise God. Is there any music in the house? But I don't trust you. If you get excited, you'll go off running. You know the curse of modern day post... Isn't that a weird thing to say? Post-Christianity churches. Is that they want what God has to offer without any cost. And after the plague, David is at the threshing floor of Ornan. And it's just another day on the threshing floor of God. And David's going to offer up a sacrifice. And Ornan's a really good guy. And he says, David, I'm going to give you this floor. I'm going to give you the oxen. I'm going to give you the implements. I'm going to give you, I'm just going to donate everything to you. It's not going to cost you anything. And David said, no, you're not. He said, because this has to be my threshing floor. And everybody has to have their own threshing floor. And he said, I'm going to pay for the oxen. I'm going to pay for the sacrifice. I'm going to pay for the implements. Because I won't offer anything to God that doesn't cost me something. The whole church world quasi-pseudo-apostolics included are circumventing the threshing floor. And they're telling folks, oh, you can have this. You don't have to have that. I mean, look at that. That looks real uncomfortable. And it looks, it looks like a lot of trouble. And it, it looks painful. And it looks like you have to give things up. And it, You can have all that God has for you without any cost at all. They're the barkers along the street. But I've never seen anybody accomplish anything in God that didn't line up right square in the middle of their own threshing floor. Plant their feet. Set their mind and their heart. And say, I'm going to pay the price for victory. I'm going to pay the price for revival. I'm not going to offer anything to God that doesn't cost me something. Praise God. Let's lift our hands. Let's call on Him today. I surrender.